Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Hello, Peter Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and, uh, well, let's see, the... uh, uh, the hubris of harvest. It is uh, fall. Hey, happy end of September. Here we go, jumping into it. The football season is rolling, and uh, lots of grapes are being picked and pressed and uh, fermented as we speak, of course, all along the West Coast here in Washington, Oregon, and California. And California started, uh, gosh, probably a month and a half ago, so uh, they're probably kind of wrap it up here, except for some probably high-elevation mountain fruit and things like that. Um, but here in Washington, we have a long growing season. We've got two extra hours of sunlight versus Napa, and our conditions, uh, diurnal shift is great, so which gives us uh, beautiful ripening, but also uh, low temperatures to maintain acidity in grapes for the respiration, so the vines can really um, be balanced at the end, and we don't have to play with it much. And uh, when we think about wines in Washington, we're always thinking about that chateau or the uh, tasting room or going to Walla Walla, Yakima, of course, uh, Woodenville, and you see uh, a whole winery, but what you don't know is that uh, there are some uh, producers out there that negotiate wine, meaning that they buy wine that's been made. They put it in a bottle with their own label, and they sell it online. And one of those producers is a man by the name of Cameron Hughes, chwineteam.com, or chwine.com. Cameron Hughes is down in California, and he, uh, well, he finally realized where the greatest grapes are growing here on the West Coast, and that's in Washington State. So, Cameron Hughes, uh, hey, welcome to Happy Hour. Hey, awesome to be here. Thanks for having me on, Christopher. My pleasure. So, uh, how did you get into wine? Yeah, I grew up out in the Central Valley of California. My dad actually worked for Gallo for a couple of years, and he went to work for a company called the Wine Group. Uh-huh. Uh, I went to high school with all the Gallo kids. So I uh, kind of grew up in the business tangentially. I uh, had no intention of getting into uh, the wine business, uh, but after college, uh, I was an English and philosophy major, therefore <laughs> unemployable, and uh, ended up you know, taking, I, I looked into becoming a winemaker, decided I didn't want to do that, took some wine marketing seminars down at Cal Poly, and uh, long story short, got offered a temporary uh, position for the wine group. Uh, basically, I was uh, putting 750 ml stickers on bottles of vermouth that the glass blower had forgotten to put in the glass, and it wasn't on the label, uh... therefore out of code. So that was my first job in the wine business. I was quite good at stickering things. So they kept me on to do more stuff. My next job actually was dumping box wines down the drain. And really? all of these things I excelled at. So hence my foray into the wine business. I see. So you graduated to actual glass bottles with your own name on it. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you. Well, when that. did you start this enterprise, chwine.com? So, um, you know, I worked... You know, I worked for the wine group for four years, and they sent me around the country. I learned the ropes of sales, distribution management. But all along uh, this time, I was visiting tons of wineries in Napa and Sonoma. I had a girlfriend who lived up there. I, I got a taste for expensive wine. So after four years of working, you know, selling kind of entry-level product, I wanted to graduate something else, worked with a French wine importer, 
stuff, African wine importer. And when I learned about the French wine import company, actually, we were putting our own blends together. So our our ownership would visit Chateau, dial in a blend with a winemaker, get it labeled under their own label. They'd commit to all five or 600 cases, and we'd import it, right? Right. And, um, you know, the company never got off the ground. Uh, It just, you know, lasted a couple years and floundered. But I had learned enough to be dangerous, found the people and players to do uh, the same thing here in the U.S. And so I started putting together funky red wine blends. So I put like a Napa red blend together under the Synergy label, C-I-N-E-R-G-I. And, um, you know, raised some money. Did that for about two years, but could never get ahead of the sales curve. I was basically selling this product out of the back of my car, right? <laughs> and um, and then I learned about a bit more of the bulk wine market, and someone came to me and said, hey, I've got 4,000 gallons of this killer Lodi Syrah, best oak, but Lodi Syrah, 27 bucks. I'm struggling to sell this product in the bottled inventory, so I'm just going to sell off the bulk. I used that wine to open up Costco. And I went to the buyer said, you don't know me from Adam, but I guarantee you'll buy the first wine I put in front of you. And uh, he kind of laughed at me. He said, all right, kid, drop it off. And uh, I set a land speed record from San Francisco to Livermore, California, dropped off a sample. He called me the next morning and said, I'll take everything you got. And that was how the lot program was born, which is the current incarnation. And this was back in 2003. Really? Uh, So we started in 01. And then back in 03 uh, was when I really presented this whole lot concept. So everything that we do is labeled Cameron Hughes. And we started with lot number one. And uh, and we got this program up and running, and Costco was a fantastic supporter. Uh, and, you know, right now, everything we do is online only. We found that that's better business for us. And, uh, and we are apparently the number one direct-to-consumer wine brand, brand, right? right. There's bigger people that ship wine, but from a brand perspective, apparently we're the number one. So um, we're up to, like, lots. 700 and change right now. Wow. So since 03 to now, what is that, 16 years, uh, we've bottled on average about 50, 60 wines a year from yeah. all over the globe. It's like one a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got it. Very right. good. Right. Well, interesting. Yeah. So uh, had you foray up here into Washington State prior to uh, the 2016 vintage, which I see on the bottles? Oh, yes. Yes, we've been, oh, boy, bottling up there. Uh, you know, I can't remember the first time. Uh, that we bottled, but you know, really since you know, since there were a lot of plantings up there, a lot of new wineries, and a lot of excitement. So I would say right around 2010, 2011, we probably started to purchase up there. And I'll bet part of it too was 10 and 11 down here in California were short vintages, and 11 was a nasty vintage, right? All that rain, being short. But quite frankly, some of those 11 wines turned out to be fantastic. I think that, uh, uh, but yeah, that's a whole other story. So that I think probably drove. Um, you know, that and the, the tons of plantings that were coming on board in Oregon and Washington and um, and also the evolution of custom crush. Uh, you know, you have, right. you know, custom crush facilities where, you know, 60 different winemakers are making wine in there and, um, you know, custom bottling contract facilities that probably didn't exist up there in, you know, the early 2000s, that infrastructure was put in place. And that's what enables us to do what we do. Uh, which is, you know, source wines uh, and, you know, uh, find local bottling. Because, you know, most of what we bottle, um, actually, that that's changed a bit. Some of it we're bringing down here now, I have to admit, uh, down to California <laughs> okay. and bottling it here. But we also have facilities that we bottle up there. But 
consumers don't care about that. No, they don't. But uh, Cameron Hughes, so you are the largest independent brand for uh, direct-to-consumer. Let's get right into the bottles here. I have a bottle of 2610 Riesling and, of course, two bottles of Cabernet Sauvignon, one from the uh, heralded, much-heralded Red Mountain AVA, Washington's smallest, as well as Walla Walla Valley, which is a place so nice, of course, they named it twice. Let's jump into the Riesling. Have you found that, uh, that the country is actually uh, appreciating the Riesling grape? You know, we have, uh, we've been selling Washington State Riesling for many years, and we have a solid core of customers. But is it lighting the world on fire? No. In fact, I think uh, from a retailer perspective around the country, um, it's a struggle to sell Riesling. There was a, there was a, a flash, so to speak, yeah. and some interest. Um, but I think, you know, it's largely confined to um, it's, it's a dichotomous. You've got really... The more geeky audience that really appreciates it gets it and is into it, right? And then you've got folks that just want a nice, quaffable, inexpensive red wine. So there's not a lot of middle in between. That's yeah. my impression. Uh, I would suspect that you're probably better able to answer that than I am. Well, I would say that uh, as much as we want Riesling to be recognized around the world, and it typically is if you're in Europe before German's wines, uh, here in, yeah, in the United right. States, it suffers, A, from such a low price point, so a poor quality reputation. B, it's got this uh, um, uh, persona of being sweet, and so most people... You know, it's never yeah. about the sugar. I try to tell people it's all about the acidity, so don't worry about it. But right. they don't get exactly. it yet. So uh, I'm tasting this Riesling. It's pretty tasty. I haven't actually, you know, I'll be honest, I haven't tasted a lot of Washington Riesling this summer or this year. Um, it's one of those things that I'm very, very familiar with, and yet I find this wine to be a little more interesting. It, it almost tastes like it has a little lees contact, or it's actually getting some development because it's a 2016 vintage. Can you describe some of the flavors I should find in this Riesling from Columbia Valley? You know, um, I'll be honest. Well, I think I, I see my recollection, and I'm recalling now. I haven't tasted the wine in a little bit. I probably should have done that before this interview. Um, but I always get kind of an orange sherbet, you know, like biting into those, what are those, icicle or those orange Creamsicles. on the outside? Creamsicles. Creamsicles. Yes, right? I know it well. One of my faves. Yes. Yes. Oh, I always, the, that seems to be one of the monikers, a mandarin orange and creamsicle. Yeah. Uh, is and and of course you know you're getting typically uh, in that wine my recollection of it you know there's a lot of white blossom that comes off when they're youthful um, and you know we don't really get into you know these are a little cleaner you don't get a lot of those petrol right. that you'll get in the German um, sometimes you'll see it but those guys up there tend TDM. to be without a flaw right, right? yeah uh, you know. Sometimes Ernest Lucen talks don't. about that. He's the the, the famed winemaker from Germany, the Mosul, coming over to here in Washington State, working with Shadow Saint Michel, and he talks yep. about the uh, TDN Tetro Diana something Theol. Anyway, um, good Riesling, great solace, twelve bucks. Let's check out the Red Mountain Cabernet Sauvignon, and this is uh, is this a single vineyard or is this a blend from uh, Red Mountain? It is single vineyard. Uh, it's all from one producer that we've been working with for years, um, and we. Buy quite a few. Uh, anything that comes from Red Mountain, uh, we usually are getting from them. But that's actually not true necessarily. What's the lot number on that? Six six zero. Six six zero. Yeah. So that's that's who I'm thinking it is because I it just occurred to me that no, Cameron, there's actually somebody else that we recently purchased some Red Mountain uh, wine from as well. Uh, but that was an older vintage. Um, so what you've got is sixteen vintage, correct? Yes, twenty sixteen. Yes. Pretty impressive. Right. Yeah. Uh, very tasty. Yeah. I wish I had better glassware. I've just got some standard, um, you know, tasting glasses. But I would expect 
Yeah, a little tulip. So they work, but they're not giving me the full expansion of flavor that you find from Red Mountain Cabernet Sauvignon. And is this 100% Cabernet, or do you have a, a little bit of uh, Petit Verdot and Malbec or Merlot? A 100% Cabernet. Cool. I always like that. I would think that you know it's it's true expression of the grape, and I know that we want to make the best wine, but let's just see what the Cabernet does. And uh, it's it's well textured. You've got 50% new French oak on the wine. Uh, I can tell that it's a stunner. And what's great about it is that the acidity is a nice balance. I, I'm very perceptive of uh, acidulation. And I can say this yep. tastes really, really natural. So congratulations. This is a $25 bottle of wine for Red Mountain Cab. That's pretty spectacular. Uh, so that sounds like a deal. Uh, let's jump real quickly to the Walla Walla Cabernet Sauvignon 2016. Lot 628. I feel like I'm an auctioneer right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, that we got from another producer. And this is a product uh, where it's aged in barrel. However, those barrels are outfitted with staves. And um, it's it's a bigger, richer, oakier profile, and a bit more obvious. And I would it's probably a little bit less subtle than the Red Mountain when it comes to the wood. So if you like the bigger, richer, more opulent, oaky styles of Cabernet, this is probably the wine for you. Whereas the Red Mountain, you're right, a bit more elegant and uh, you know higher acidity, right? And it's like I think it's just at like 13.9 alcohol. Wow. And then this wine is going to be closer to now. This wine will be uh, the Walla Walla that is will be closer, like fourteen seven, fourteen eight. It says fourteen four, so we'll go with that. Yep. Okay, there you go. Well, if that's what it's, if it's usually fourteen five, there's a little bit of room, but sure. at fourteen four, that's what the lab team in. At. Okay, so, yeah, that is correct. Pretty cool. Um, so yep. the website again is chwine dot com, and how many wines correct. do you have in the in the available to consumers? Oh boy! Right now, there's probably forty plus on there, and just wait. We're about to. There's going to be an onslaught. We've been bottling like crazy uh, down here in California, and you know, actually, quite a bit of Oregon Pinot cool. uh, recently that we will be launching. Uh, we've got quite a few of those. They've got a lot of extra wine about, particularly at the higher end wine. Sure, right. Hey, and that's where we tend to shop. Good stuff, Cameron Hughes. Hey, congratulations. Awesome. You've uh, got uh, 16 years in the business and it's chwine.com. Uh, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Awesome. Thank you, Christopher. Pleasure being with you, man. Cheers. That's right. Hey, folks, check out chwine.com. Cameron Hughes got some special wines for you, and we'll be right back here on Happy Hour Radio. loud he's proud holding nothing back michael savage the savage nation weeknights nine to midnight talk radio 570 kvi now more kvi want to know weekends back to happy hour radio with christopher chan all right seattle hey welcome back time for round two and i have two cans of uh they call it near beer it's a uh, really high-quality artisanal craft near beer, meaning it has uh, less than 1% of alcohol, or actually 0.05% as it would be. Um, what's point? Yeah, 0.5%. And I've got two cats who are down in San Diego, and they came up with uh, a super cool new beverage idea. And it's actually in market, and they were happy, uh, very nice to send me some samples. It's called Two Roots Brewing Company out of San Diego, and they actually uh, have some infusions which uh, help elevate perhaps the experience of having one of these near beers. And so I'm going to welcome Kevin Barnes, 
who is uh, the master brewer at Two Roots, and also uh, Michael Van de Mortel, who's the executive vice president of marketing. These two cats are on the line. Uh, gentlemen, Kevin and Michael, welcome to Happy Hour. Good to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Chris. <laughs> My pleasure. All right, so that was Kevin who finished, right? Yes. Okay, good. I got it down. Um, fantastic. How'd you guys get started? Obviously, you're a brewer, so I imagine you were drinking beers that I'm do home brew and you got a job. But how did you guys come together and think about doing some special infusions in your Two Roots brew? Well, um, <clears throat> I got a call from a cannabis company uh, one, one day, a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. Said, we have this idea. We want to put THC in beer. Uh, we have to make non-alcoholic beer in order to do that legally. We're looking for a brewer. And I, I said, I know the guy. It's me. So um, the, the idea really came from how can we create uh, a, a cannabis product that is a little bit um, more familiar to people and that can be sort of a, a substitute for alcohol, um, something that will give you a nice light buzz but won't uh, give you a hangover if you have too many of them, um, and, and something that the people that may be curious to try legal cannabis are, you know, it's an easier intro for them than, than buying a That's joint or up a joint. Out of a <laughs> yes, yeah. you, you make it an elegant experience, right, with a nice crystal glassware or a frosted mug, perhaps. Um, and I just actually jumped into it right away because I, I do enjoy um, – flavorful beers and uh so forgive me for for going getting ahead of it i got the straight drink so tell me about the straight drink and is there would there be can i know that you didn't send me any with cannabis sadly <laughs> yeah and these are just the, these are just the near beer uh ex, ex uh beverages and they're really tasty so tell me um thank you uh, tell me about the calories here i'm curious this is a 12 ounce beer but it's got 120 calories i always thought the calories in a beer were from the alcohol um, actually, uh, most of them are, and that's why uh, that's such a low calorie offering. I see. Uh, you know, your typical IPA, 12 ounces, is going to be 250, 300 calories. Really? Dang. So, yeah. Okay, well, I'm glad I only drink one of those. Because uh, I, I used to be a hop head, but um, and as much as I like terpenes, I find that drinking drinking them can actually uh, make me a little fatigued on the flavor. Um, so, Michael, are you yeah, were you in the cannabis business prior to this? Or did you sort of understand what the the genre would would entail? Actually, I've been. Uh, I come from the uh, functional beverage industry, uh, consumer packaged goods, and I've been keeping my eye on all things cannabis for quite some time. And obviously, being from the Netherlands originally. Uh, I have a very innate understanding of all things uh, cannabis, not to play off a, a stereotype <laughs> here, but it is true to a certain degree. Um, so I've been following it very closely, especially after the farm bill, uh, when that came into uh, legalization, what was uh, ha happening. And uh, at that point in time, it became very clear that what the, the cannabis industry was missing was deep uh, consumer goods experience, especially on the beverage side. And uh, when I was approached by um, uh, my current employer, I felt that this was a perfect opportunity for me to take some of my learnings and uh, get it into uh, an exciting new space that is truly the new frontier. Well, I like the packaging. The packaging is really cool. It's uh, it's rather muted colors, and of course, the the new slim can, which makes everyone feel thinner <laughs> and more sexy. Um, mm. I'm tasting this the straight drink, which uh, is 
pretty cool. What hops are in the straight drink? Is this uh, Citra or Mosaic? Uh, great question. We chose some hops that were a little more toward the resiny, uh, dank spectrum. So it's got a little bit of Comet in there, and it's got a whole bunch of Eureka. Eureka. Oh, that, that probably smells like some of the neighboring crops, I think, if you're in Eureka, right? <laughs> Are they growing some cannabis that outdoors? That may be where the name came from. Yeah, exactly. how, how funny. Um, you know, I jumped also into this grapefruit fight. And tell me about the whole range of flavors you guys produce. And you can buy them in THC or CBD or both? For now, uh, THC infused only as well as our near beer. Um but that will uh, soon uh, change as well, where we'll be offering our CBD-infused versions, too. Well, these are, I mean, I'm really surprised how delicious they are. Um, I, I think your hop profile is uh, definitely, in, in the aromatics, it's really balanced side, and I, I'm pretty pleased with that for me. Um, how's the grapefruit uh, fight? How's the grapefruit flavor? Is that a juice? Is that a, an oil? Is that a skin contact? Tell me about the process for grapefruit fight. Yeah, um, great question. That one took us a little while to figure out uh, what we could use on the non-alcoholic version. Um, so we ended up doing a, a blend of grapefruit juice, grapefruit extract, uh, multiple types of grapefruit extract even, um, and a little bit of... Uh, grapefruit soda flavoring really uh, very very traditional uh actually to how radlers are produced in europe right yeah it's uh and you know when it comes to flavored beers i know that some are very potent or very pronounced flavors and that's not always my my cup of tea if you will uh but this is definitely balanced it's got a great grapefruit aroma but also a really ruby red grapefruit flavor that i find more appealing generally yeah, thank you. I, I agree. Um, I, I don't really enjoy drinking beverages that are one-dimensional, so I'm glad to hear you, you find it balanced, and uh, I think you even get a little bit of uh, the base uh, lager beer flavor coming through, too, on yeah. that Radler. Yeah, on the finish there, um, it's it's a delicious... This is really cool. I think you got you have a huge market for uh, non-alcoholic beer with this much quality, this much flavor. Um, I think that will be a huge new industry. Because we want to drink flavor. I mean, I like refreshment, and, you know, sometimes I, I, I <laughs> rarely <laughs> don't want to drink, I guess. Uh, how, many per, how many of these flavors are produced by uh, Two Roots Brewing? Uh, we have six uh, non-alcoholic offerings at the moment. We have uh, the two that you have as well as another, uh, another couple IPAs. One is called New West. It's kind of a cross between a New England and a West Coast style IPA. All right. Uh, we have another one with mangoes, which again tastes like IPA and tastes like mangoes, not you know, not just one or the other. We I've... have a wheat beer, Hefeweizen, we call Tropical Infamy because we use Citra and Durillo hops in it. Ah. Um, and then we have our uh, enough said. Oh, we can't call it lager in the uh, NA world, so we call it Hellas. Okay, um, but it's basically uh, it's it's a it's an easy drinking, uh, fairly well hopped lager. And Hellas beers weren't didn't they have uh, grains of paradise or something in them? A little added flavor for Hellas beers, or is that just a white That's Belgian? Actually, uh, wit beer. Yep, yeah, it's Belgian white. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. That's what I'm thinking. Good stuff. Uh, what's a website people can order? Can you and you can't ship? You have to. We have to go down to California to enjoy these. Is that right? Or Nevada? 
The infused uh, versions, yes, you'll have to be in California or Nevada. Um, and that website is tworootscannabis.com. But for our uh, near beers, as well as our traditional beers, it's tworootsbrewingco.com. And you'll be able to uh, very soon place uh, orders for our non-alcoholic beers as well. Fantastic. I think that's that's a great... Um, well. It's interesting. I don't know. Are young people? Because when I think of non-alcoholic beers, I think of an older set that said, "You know what? I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna drive tonight, being responsible." But have have the millennials sort of gravitated towards NA, as far as you know? I, actually, it's the fastest growing segment in the uh, beer category. We're seeing uh, the millennials um, really flocking towards uh, or stepping away from alcohol, all the negatives that come along with it. And are looking for non-alcoholic replacements. They, you know, this is uh, the whole sober curious movement that took place uh, several years ago in England that now has made its way over to the U.S. Um, the challenges that come along with being out of control and social media; those two don't really pair well together. As some of the consequences. Oh right, yeah. Intense, right. So there's a lot of reasons that we're now seeing. Uh, that becoming one of the fastest growing or the fastest growing category in the beer world. In fact, all of our uh, beers, our non-alcoholic beers, were just uh, will be on shelf at Bevmo, all California location Bevmos uh, as well, because Bevmo is also recognizing the fact that this is the fastest growing segment in their store. Well, it's or great. At least one of. You guys produce a fantastic product. Congratulations and best of luck with the THC business. Um, Kevin Barnes, the master brewer for Two Roots Brewing Company, and Michael Van de Mortel, executive vice president of marketing with Two Roots Cannabis.com. Hey, folks, guys, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you so much for having us, Chris. Thanks, hey. Chris. Hey, guys, hey everybody, check this out. This is really good stuff. You're at a party, you want something pleasing, and without the pressure of alcohol, check out Two Roots Brewing Company. Hey, stick around, we'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Tune it in and turn it up. Cruise home with Kirby. The Kirby Wilbur Show. Live and local. Weekdays 3 to 6 p.m. KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. Time for round three. Hope you're having a great Saturday night. And, uh... Of course, this place, well, this place, of course, the studio is booming, but I mean, the region is booming, and uh, that's good for the restaurant scene. Uh, perhaps more competition makes better food, and uh, all these neighborhoods now have great spots. Uh, and I got a pal here who's in the studio now, Peacock. He's uh, taking the leap of uh, faith and long hours to follow his dreams. Um, he's got a new place come opening up, and we'll talk about that. So, now's Peacock. Hey, welcome to Happy Hour. Thanks, Chris. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's a Saturday night, you know, get away, and uh, you have a restaurant opening. But first, tell me how you got in the biz. Well, I got into the business when I was in New York City in college studying fashion design, and I uh, lied to someone that had a bar that I could bartend. And uh, the first bartending shift, uh, there was a gunfight. I was shot at, and uh, nobody got hurt. So in New York? In New York City, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, had- so what, what are they drinking in New York? And what was this, 97? 
This was back in 1992. 92, okay. And in 92, we were drinking a lot of straight liquor and sweet drinks. <laughs> I was going to say, I was thinking Cosmopolitans were big back then and lemon drops. Uh, and they haven't faded away. What was the name of that bar? It was called the Lead Bar down on St. Mark's. Lead for like gun lead? Bullets? That's what I would think now. You know, we had first bartending shift. We had two guests that came in from Australia. Uh, there was a gunfight in the back with the owner and two guys. Ran out, got bullets flying everywhere. They ran out into the street, chasing each other down the street, shooting at each other. What neighborhood is this? This is on St. Mark's down in the West Village. Okay. And That's changed, enough, though, now. Everything's changed in, well, everywhere, it seems. In retrospect, I thought it was odd that the cops never showed up. But, <laughs> they were afraid. <laughs> Well, maybe they couldn't do anything like we have here in Seattle. Anyway, we digress. So uh, you were bartended. Uh, what about cooking? Do you have the flair for the, the saute? I've never been great at cooking, and I did not know how to bartend and create drinks effectively. I just kind of lucked into it. And so when I found myself in Aspen managing a bar at the Ajax Tavern at the Little Nell, I needed to learn how to develop my skills. And I didn't have a mentor, so I started asking chefs. Oh. How do I how do I make what year a was syrup? this? This was back in two thousand three. Oh, I thought they had like a wasn't a Master Sommelier there by then? I know Jay Fletcher was probably hanging well, out. Ajax Tavern was actually owned by uh, real restaurants out of California, uh. so they weren't. I wasn't working with anybody from the Little Nell. We were just a tenant of the Little Nell. Got it. Uh, cool place. So uh, here you are in Seattle. You saw how easy it is to open up a restaurant with all this new construction. Everybody needs a tenant, and they probably. Very competitive. Uh, what's uh, your new uh, restaurant or bar theme? So uh, we're a cocktail-centric restaurant. Mm -hmm. It's called Niles Peacock Kitchen and Bar down at 4025 Not Niles Stone Peacock Tales? Not Niles Peacock <laughs> Tales. I actually resisted calling it Niles Peacock for a while. Uh, my staff insisted that was a good name. And after six months of coming up with names that got shot down, we decided to call it Niles Peacock Kitchen and Bar. Okay, and where, where and when will this be open? So we're looking at a November opening. Excellent. And it's on the uh, west side of the street on Stoneway. And I say the west side because I grew up in Wallingford, and Stoneway separates Wallingford from Fremont. So right. west side is Fremont, east side street's Wallingford. We're at 4025 Stoneway, though. Okay. Yeah. And so November, this is November 1. We look at November 15. You'll never really know until you get to October 30th and go, where are we? Well, the thing with that is it's a brand new building. So we have 59 residences above and then brand new construction all the way through. So really, it's a permitting game. What's the cross street? Cross street's 40th. Okay. I know exactly where that is because uh, I think I want 38th, isn't the, there's a bar and restaurant down there from um, Heavy. From Heavy Restaurant. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was, it was um, called Thackeray. Now it's called Fiasco. That is correct. So Fiasco's right down there. We're right up the street. We're on the same side of the street as Art of the Table, just a few blocks up. And they got Ethan Stoll's Super Bueno is down there also. It's oh, right. a really blossoming restaurant row down there right now. So we're really grateful to have that location. Well, good for you. Um, and will your website available at Niles Peacock? Or? Uh, we do have a landing page right now, okay. which is nilespeacock.com. Right. And uh, we were going to be moving forward with that, uh, showing what we're going to be doing there. And uh, being the first website, there's going to be a lot of new stuff on there. All sure. Of it. it takes a lot of time. Lots of planning to go. Oh, and how's the hiring process? Has that started? I know, basically, you got to no one. You can't really hire somebody because they'll probably get another job between now and then, which is only thirty days, and maybe they won't. I don't know. That's a really good question, Christopher. And I'm grateful to be in a position of having more qualified people that I've worked with over the years that want to be part of what I'm doing than I could hire an employee currently. Cool. So from '92, not knowing anything and lying your way into the industry, <laughs> you fit right in. To now, opening a cocktail centric bar restaurant uh, here in uh, the west side of Stone Way. 
You've come a long way. So, do you, are you a master mixologist now? Do you think? Would you say that you you got the chops now? I would never say I'm a master of anything. I'm a student. Every day, I want to learn more and get better, better, better. And okay. I want to share that with all the people that I get to work around. Uh, well, I, I have no in- problems calling me a master, and I, I look forward to getting that pin uh, in 2020. So, uh, I understand, you know, being a cocktail craftsman person, I guess. What are we saying, Seattle? Anyway, a cocktailer <laughs> like that. You uh, are going to participate in a big event coming up, which is an annual event celebrating some of the best of the best. Super excited about that. We're going to be doing the James Beard Taste America Raising the Bar Seattle. That's going to be on Thursday, October 3rd at Block 41, 6 p.m. And I'm fortunate to be down there with some awesome mixologists. we got Amanda Reed coming down there from uh, Heartwood Provisions. Yeah. Laura Garcia from Gold Bar. Then we got Navy Strength, actually was voted Best Bar in the U.S. Yes. I'm super happy to be down there with Chris Elford to meet him. And it's going to be a great event. So I'm really looking forward to it. And it's a great springboard for us not being open yet. We're the only place that hasn't put our foot down and opened our doors to people that's getting to participate in this event. So it's just really humbling and honored to be part of it. So you must know somebody then <laughs> to get involved. Well, I've been doing this for a while. You know, when you when you do this for a while, I think no matter what field you're in, if you if you really it's your profession and you care about it and you work around people long enough over the years, uh, everybody starts to get to know each other. And the the more you know and the more you learn, the the smaller the pool gets. Right. Right. You should just like with wine, with cooking, with mixology, and so you end up in this smaller group of people, and uh, it's just a really nice place to be. You know, I think all of us. Growing this city with the food, with the drinks, with the wine is really helping develop the culture that we have here that attracts people to come and see our restaurant scene. This is great. I know I just had a friend uh, in Telluride reach out to me, said her daughter's coming out here, wants some great places in Cap Hill. And I almost didn't know where to start, but I did start with Spinoz. <laughs> That's a great spot. Of course, Marjorie uh, now is kind of an old school restaurant in, in this, uh, you know, I think we were, I was meeting with Moody back in 90s, no, 2004, 2005. That's when we were doing a, a tasting group. Uh, you have a wine list on your program? Do you need some wine expertise? I can uh, participate. <laughs> Always, always, always. Uh, we're going to have a small and mighty wine program, and we're really looking forward to offering some stuff that isn't going to be on a lot of menus uh, locally. And um, we also want to have a captain's list that's small and condensed, so uh, really value-focused wines. That's good. That are on uh, usually seen on bigger lists. Sure. And what's the style of food? Uh, let me guess: cherries and olives, onions. Mm. Well, I love cherries and all those things. And uh, we're going to have things like bone marrow. We're going to do a lot of flatbreads. We have an oven there. It's a four-deck oven, so we're going to do a lot of that. Uh, it's going to be many social plates that we're going to have there, a number of salads, and uh, our chef, uh, Chef Carlos Wright, who's coming down to us from a great restaurant in Edmonds called Salt and Iron. Oh, right. He's going to be yeah. taking the helm of our culinary program. So Cool. Interesting. Um, it's it's great to see uh, the, the matriculation of uh, our youthful culinarians and uh, of course, sommeliers, and a shout-out to Nick Davis, a uh, new master sommelier here in Seattle, just passed uh, a couple weeks ago down in St. Louis. And I'm speaking with Niles Peacock, who's got a new place opening up uh, sometime in November. Uh, NilesPeacock.com is the landing page. You can get a little uh, idea of what they've got. But it's going to be cocktail-centric bar with, uh, with food. So salt and iron makes me think that it's, uh, well, iron, I'm thinking beef or red meat. Or just grilled, perhaps. Salts, uh, you know, herbs and what? So what do you got in mind? Is there something you have to have on the menu, like uh, Sloppy Joe or something like that? Well, I happen to absolutely love pizza. 
Love, love, love it. So <laughs> we're going to have a number of different flatbreads that are offered there. In addition to that, we're going to do cheese boards. We're going to have charcuterie plate. Great. And a lot of locally sourced stuff. We're going to have oysters because we're in Seattle and we all That's love That's what I thought when you said here. salt. Like, okay, I just thought of a bed of oysters, uh, which is so fun. Okay, great. And when when we think about cocktails, you know, I've, I've noticed that with the, uh, the wage and the environment and the real estate that everything's going up, up, up in prices. Um, is there, and the move these days is everyone has to have a solid happy hour, right? Because you got to make it feel to get people to come in, have a good time. You know, and happy hour is no longer cheap. Happy hour is, is a $35 experience. So it's basically dining out because you just got to take advantage of the deals. And you probably, I mean, I have two drinks at a bar and shoot, that ends up to be $25 and more plus tax tip. So that's a great, uh, great point to look at. And the design that we're going after with both the culinary side and the mixology, we want to have a menu that is approachable to people regardless of what the market is like. So we're using a down market as if we're maybe in 2008 to be the market that we want to hit. So let's say the economy is not great right now. Can you call Let's hope it doesn't go back to 2008, no, yeah, status. We're, we're all going to hope that. And we want to be approachable to people to come out to us, not once a month or not once a week, but to be able to come out and see us a few times a week, whenever you want. It won't be a hesitant, oh, do we want to go drop $50 a head to go down there and have a couple of drinks and something to eat? We would rather have guests be able to come and see us all the time and right. actually have regular regulars. Neighborhood style. Yeah. That's the key. We want constant uh, traffic. You want people to be, um, well, to budget enough that they can come two, three times a month, right? Otherwise, it's, uh, it's, you're kind of losing that and people for special occasion, they start going other places. But you definitely want to have that menu exactly. and make that neighborhood feel. Hey, folks, uh, speak with Niles Peacock, who's got a cool spot coming up here in November. And we've got the James Beard raising the bar here in Seattle coming October 3rd. Stick around. I'm going to chat with more cocktails with Niles Peacock right here on Happy Hour Radio. Two regular guys separated by 20 years and full head of hair. Mark Lee and Van Camp. Weekdays 9 to noon. Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. And you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. Uh, happy last uh, Saturday in September. Boy, where's the time go? It must be having fun because it seems like it's flying by. Uh, just on my way home from Paris, and could you tell? <laughs> uh, James Beard Award is uh, really the, the highest recognition at any restaurant, establishment, uh, journalist, uh, chef, author, cookbook, all that stuff in the food and beverage scene. Uh, James Beard is the highest honor. And uh, we have uh, an event here in Seattle called Raising the Bar. It's October 3rd, Thursday, which also is a Seahawk game. Lambs at <laughs> Lambs. The Rams at Seattle. Uh, hopefully they are lambs. I do like lamb, medium, rare. Anyway, um, I'm always curious about cocktails. I know next week I've got a... Uh, um, an award-winning bar program out of Kansas City that got some huge accolades, and we're talking about uh, some of their, their drinks. But right now, Niles Peacock, give me an idea of what uh, two rock-solid cocktails you're going to have at the upcoming Niles Peacock uh, cocktail-centric restaurant. Well, I'll tell you, the first one that comes to mind is a drink called the Mighty Quinn, which is a drink that I made for a gentleman named David Quinn who created AllRecipes.com. All Recipes and Hillary Quinn. I know them. And so David said to me, I want a drink that's brown and something delicious. So I made a drink with equal parts of rye whiskey. And for this, I used a six-year Pikesville rye whiskey, which okay. is phenomenal. And I used a 10-year Henry McKenna small batch bourbon, which is fantastic. Both made from the same Hillary, uh, sorry, Hiram Hill. Yeah, Heaven Hill's Heaven distillery. Hill. <laughs> yeah, that is correct. 
So I've got an ounce each of that, and then three quarters of an ounce of a house falernum, which is a syrup that I make from ginger root macerated with lemon peel, lime peel, a little bit of cinnamon that's uh, from Sri Lanka, the Ceylon, uh, also nutmeg and clove. So it has these mulling yeah, spice flavors. Yeah, is it falernum next to clove kind of or nutmeg? It actually, yeah, it actually is. It's uh, traditionally uh, hails from the West Indies. Right. Uh, and it's funny because people here think of the wintertime and these mulling spice flavors, right? It actually comes from a tropical climate. I know. Well, that's because so, they had all the spices around yeah, there, that spice yeah. route. That's cool. So the Mighty Quinn, that's served up, yeah. I take it? Or? Uh, that's actually, uh, we do that up or on the rocks right. with a twist of lime peel, getting that lime oil lime. right into the drink. Mm-hmm. And so that's a nice drink that's going to be tart. It's going to have those full flavors. I can't believe you didn't bring forward. one into the studio. Jeez, Jim. It's Can called Happy Hour Radio. Of course. Oh, hey, like Mario, you're making me drink this can stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, what's drink <clears throat> number two? Okay, so drink number two is a drink I make called the Girl Next Door. Mm. Girl Next Door is a drink that I uh, made with one ounce of this great barrel-finished bourbon from Scratch Distillery. Scratch. And it's made by Kim Carrick, the Girl Next Door. Ah. She's the distiller over there. All right. That? And then we use one ounce of the Elijah Craig Small Batch Bourbon. Okay, yeah, we had and that And then a show. half ounce of a syrup that I make with Bodhisattva IPA. So I reduce one gallon of Bodhisattva IPA beer made down in Georgetown right. down to one quart. So it's super bitter, super hoppy, and not something you'd want to drink. Add sugar to it. So I have a syrup that's bitter, sweet, and hoppy. So we serve this spirit. And hops actually have a little acidity, right? Because there's alpha acids exactly there, so you correct. get that sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we spray some orange oil over it from a nice orange peel, uh-huh. and and then on the side of the glass, put some nice big orange horn. So we take a swath of orange. I get cut it. it with some gonna... long tips. Put it on there, and that's the girl. Orange next with door. the IPA. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I can't wait. We'll have to maybe do a test drive and uh, get you back that sounds in. Sounds good to me. I'm sure you're going to be super busy. Uh, well, Niles Peacock, that's really fun. Congratulations. Um, and you can see Niles in person uh, representing. In fact, what are you going to be pouring at the Raising the Bar? So we're actually going to find out. We submitted two cocktails to okay. that. And so I, what I'm hoping that we're going to be serving there is a drink that is called... Ease and comfort. Ease and comfort. Ease and comfort. All right. Like, ease and comfort. Makes we're going to think use, of lithium or yeah. something. <laughs> so ease and comfort is a drink that we're going to make with the Wakavit, which is a barrel aged Wakavit made by that same distiller, Scratch uh, Kim at Scratch Distillery. Uh-huh. And then we're going to do a version of that IPA syrup with a smoked Smith tea and some Madagascar vanilla. Okay, I like that. Some charred orange will be the garnish on that. Right. You know, it's funny. Vanilla being uh, a very uh, tropical. Um, bean or flower, right? The um, seed of a, a lily. There's so much vanilla in the in the brown liquors because that's part of it. Vanilla, right? Gets toasted, and yet we don't see anyone really capitalizing on. It. I mean, where is the vanilla bean small batch bourbon? Right? Just throw a bean in the whole barrel and call it good, or maybe two beans. I don't know. You'd think that that could be really cool. It's funny we haven't seen that yet. I know. With and all I identify the flavor that there. all the time when I talk about the flavors that we get from the barrels from that charring, get those vanillas and that toast that comes out of there. It's really relative. Yeah, they do it in beer more than you know, playing with all those ingredients, which is fun. Uh, now, Speacock, you got a bar coming up in uh, opening in November. We'll keep uh, an eye out uh, and let me know uh, so we can tell everybody that it's opening. And good luck on October third at Raising the Bar in Seattle, down at Block Forty One. Tickets available at James Beard James Award. Beard, yeah, JamesBeardFoundation.org. dot org. It's that easy. All right, yeah, pal. Thank good you so luck. Much, Have a great time. Cheers. Hey, that's Niles Peacock. Uh, you know, he went from not from lying his way into grad school <laughs> to creating his own university for cocktails. Congratulations to him. Uh, hope you enjoyed the show, folks. Remember, we have a Facebook page. It's uh, at Happy Hour Radio. Of course, if you're in the Twitter sphere, it's at Happy HR Radio. 
And uh, our website uh, is up and running again. We had the re the makeover, which is super fun. And uh, it's just like packaging, right? We've dressed it up, and now it's uh, ready to roll. Hey, folks, when you're out and about, especially at uh, Raising the Bar, remember, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers!